Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness to us and that faithfulness displayed in so many ways. We thank you that you are faithful to show us who you are and everything that we need to know you give us and you give it to us in your word. And so as we turn our attention now, we pray that you would help us. Help us to meet your faithfulness with a willingness uh, to grow and to learn and to change. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Back on Cape Cod, Massachusetts, we had purchased our first home. And it was a good home for us, but as is the case with many first homes, there was some work that needed to be done. And so every weekend that could be afforded, there was time to engage in the next project, and that inevitably meant a trip to Bradford's hardware store. It was an old hardware store. There are a lot of things that are very old on Cape Cod. And this hardware store had an impressive amount of things that were crammed into a relatively small space. The aisles were narrow. The floor was creaky. The shelves were stacked very, very high. And there were things hanging from the ceiling. And as you walked in through the door and made your way down one of the aisles, you would naturally think to yourself, I am not going to be able to find anything in this place. But you didn't need to. Because you could enter through the front door on the street side or through the back door with a tiny parking lot that held about eight to ten cars. And it seemed like no matter what door you entered through, Harry was there. (laughs) And he would greet you with a smile and say, is there anything I can help you find? And I would say something like, yeah, Harry, I'm hanging shutters today. And he would then engage in a series of questions. Well, what kind of siding do you have? And do you have the right drill bit? And these are the kind of screws that you need. No, 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 don't grab those. Grab the galvanized ones. They work better outside. And make sure you get this link that's perfect for what you're looking for. You have a level, right? Good, because you're going to need it. And after asking Harry a couple of the how do I do this questions or the what do I do about that questions, I would take his advice. I'd go on my way and I would try to conquer another first-time project. Today, if I have a project to do on a Saturday, I head to Home Depot. And unlike Bradford's, where you had to parallel park on the street, there's an ocean of parking. And inside, as you know, Home Depot is huge. And they have like 40 or 50 times inventory of a place like Bradford's and the ceilings are 30 or 40 feet high and everything looks really good in the gleaming bright argon lights. And there's a guy in an orange apron or maybe a gal in an orange apron and they're like a mile away. And if you are fortunate enough to run them down, you will probably hear something like, I'm sorry, I normally work in paint. (laughs) But somebody called off sick in electrical, so I'm just covering today, which is code word. You're on your own. (laughs) There's something similar that 
has happened in some American churches. Because as some have grown larger and we have developed programs for all kinds of different ages and segments, uh, those programs can be really helpful and really amazing. And we have technological sophistication that we didn't have before. And there are many, many other elements of growth and benefit, but there's something missing. Harry. We all need a Harry. Someone who knows more than we do. Someone who will guide us to grow, and in this case, guide us to grow in Christ. And throughout the Bible, this is one of the ways that faith has been passed on. You might even say it's the primary way. Moses trains Joshua how to lead. Eli teaches Samuel how to pray. Jesus teaches his disciples. Timothy's grandmother Lois trains up her daughter Eunice, who then trains up her son Timothy. Paul calls Titus his son in the faith. And beyond those sorts of direct pass-it-down examples, we see a large number of examples of examples to follow. People who you might refer to as role models. Ones you look up to. Ones who are two steps down the road farther than you are. Who show you the way to live in faithfulness. Today, in Philippians chapter 2, we see two such role models, two examples of the faith. They're kind of like Harry, but their names are Timothy and Epaphroditus. And so if you have a Bible, grab it with me and open to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, we've been on this journey and we come to the end of the chapter starting in verse 19. And listen to what Paul says about these two role models in the faith. This is what he says. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. And indeed he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. For I am more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the, for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. It's striking that 
here in the middle of the letter to the Philippians, after Paul has been giving exhortation after exhortation, as he has been training us, and of course in this first audience, the Philippian church, on this trajectory for life, to understand how to experience true and lasting joy in life, and how to see and to know what is most valuable, and who is most valuable, worthy above all others, the Lord Jesus himself, and how when you really get to know him, and when you to experience him, and when you follow him, you have joy that produces in such profound ways that you live differently. And what does that life look like? It looks like living in a manner that's worthy of the gospel, he says, and having the mind of Christ, and considering others more worthy than yourselves as you go through your days and weeks and months and years. And now in the middle of this powerful exhortation, there seems to be like a very abrupt pause as he stops to talk about these two guys. And the reason he does is pretty obvious. Because he's been giving us the example of Christ. And now he's going to give us the example of these guys. These guys are role models. They're people worthy of following. And following others is part of the Christian life. We see it again and again and again. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus told the disciples, if anybody would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15, Paul writes to the church at Corinth, for though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. And here we read it just a moment ago in Philippians chapter 2, verse 22. You know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. And he'll say again in chapter 3, verse 17, join one another in following, following, following my example, brothers, and carefully observe those who live according to the pattern we set from you. We all follow in the footsteps of somebody. We all need examples. And in Philippians, we're given the example of the humility of Christ in chapter 2, how we can have the mind of Christ and what that looks like. And here at the end, we have two human examples, Timothy and Epaphroditus, role models to look up to. The first of those examples is Timothy. And he is the example of the others-centered life. There are a lot of self-serving people out there. Did you know? There are a lot of self-serving people in the church in Rome in the first century. And today we see the same dynamic and there's a lot of different reasons for it. Some of it's just our inherent sin nature that we look out for number one whenever we get a chance. Other, other elements of that are we live in a time right now where the self is so elevated on the rise that we attempt to define who we are and what we want to be because of our relative affluence and opportunity. And we do so regardless of what it might do to other people around us. Or perhaps it's the fact that you can present to the world a very carefully curated image of yourself for them to see 
on the internet. Or maybe it's simply the fact that we're good at thinking about what will make us happy over and above the needs of others. And beyond that sort of general selfishness, there's a self-centeredness that all of us struggle with. Every single one of us, to some degree or another, think about what our thoughts and feelings betray in our hearts and how we really want to focus on what we feel and what we want and what we hope for and what we desire. And Paul commends Timothy to them as an example, not of a self-centered life, but of the other's centered life. And this is a life that is put forward for you to mimic. Listen to what he says about him. He says, I have no one like him who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Christ. Consider that. There's no one like him. This is a guy that's been around the block a couple of times. He goes from place to place, church to church. He meets people, 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 people. He's spending his life for people. And this guy sticks out as unique. And he does so because of his concern, genuinely concerned for your welfare. His concern is not obligation. It's not simply a fulfillment of duty. He has a genuine concern for the good of others. He says that he's not seeking his own interests like so many others, but he's seeking the interests of Jesus. And this is where the connection gets really interesting. Because Timothy seeks their welfare, but he seeks the interest of Jesus. He seeks their good, but not just for the sake of their good. <laughs> he seeks their welfare, but not just for the sake of him being a nice guy or being well-liked among them. He's not just seeking their welfare while seeking their interest. He's seeking their welfare, but the interest of Jesus. Another way to say that is that when you come to Jesus and you continue to grow and you know him and you see his immeasurable worth and value and you see that his interests actually are the thing that are of greatest value not only to yourself but to everybody you come in contact with. You understand that whether or not somebody else realizes it, they will be infinitely better off if they receive the gifts that Jesus gives them, if they put their faith in him, if they have their sins forgiven, if the gospel is made clear, if they're cleansed before God, that all of the ways in this life they've been pining for desire and meaning and purpose and worth and joy, all of them come to their fulfillment in him. This is the best possible thing for their welfare. So he seeks them genuinely, but not for what they think they need. He seeks them for what they know they need, which is the interest of Jesus. Paul says that this is not the case with everybody. 
And you know this to be true. Chapter 1, verse 15, he says how some preach Christ out of rivalry or vain conceit. They're in it for themselves. Chapter 2, verse 4, don't be like those guys. Let each of you look not to his own interests, but consider others greater than yourselves. Don't be self-centered. And here we see Timothy, an example to follow, one who is genuinely concerned for the welfare of others. And verses 22 through 24 say that this disposition points to the fact that Timothy has proven worth. He's valuable to the kingdom. And he has served in the gospel. And that's why Paul is sending him back to Philippi. And so what does that look like today? Or maybe the better question is, is who looks like that today? <laughs> Do you know somebody? Somebody of proven worth? Seeking the welfare of others but the interest of Jesus? A servant to the gospel? I could name dozens, if not hundreds, even in our own church. This last week I asked a number of people on our staff to share this observation with me. Who is it? Who is it that you think of when you think of a role model, a spiritual role model? Who is it that displays other-centeredness but the interest of Jesus? Who do you want to be like when you grow up? <laughs> Who's the role model? And it was so fantastic to hear the names that just would like easily come off of their tongues. And as my email inbox was populated increasingly to, to see just a growing list of so many of you that can be categorized in that way. I think about Rose Newbold, tenderhearted toward children that she serves. She comes early every week to make sure she's there. Her classroom is ready when they arrive. She wants them to grow in faith in Jesus. She told a story once about a first grade boy who he, she could just see the Lord was doing something and he has this growing hunger for God's word. And at the end of their time in class, he prayed a prayer of thanks, thanking God for the ram who was sacrificed in Isaac's place. It's an interesting prayer for like a six or seven year old boy to pray. And Rose and Sarah Mercer, one of our children's workers, rejoiced together knowing that God was starting to do something in unfolding the gospel to that little boy. And together, praying that that boy will one day understand how Jesus is the ram for us. That's awesome. There's uh, no one that I know who's quite like Bill Patisak. Uh, all of you probably know Bill because he's the guy that gave you a tour when you showed up. He has this amazing ability to know uh, who's here and who isn't and to be looking out for you, for your welfare, but not just for your welfare to make you feel comfortable, though that's part of it. It is even more so for your welfare in the interest of Jesus. And it's amazing how he knows with all these hundreds of people, he knows when you're not here. And it's amazing how in all these hundreds of people, he somehow knows if you're new, like if you're here for the first couple times. He just has that eye. He's on the lookout. He sees week in and week out, and he's almost never up here on the platform, and he's never in the back teaching a class, but he's constantly looking out for the needs of other people in the interest of Jesus. I think about Brian Benio Jr., young man who 
uh, is making an effort to sincerely care for students in our church with the word of God. He's got a busy life. He works a job and he considers his work (laughs) to be engaging those students and those young adults in an ongoing way. I think about Carol Fithian. I know, Carol. You can drop your head. Carol's 88 years old. She just signed up to help serve in Awana on Wednesday nights. I'm half that age, Carol. I'm really tired on Wednesday nights. (laughs) But what else are you going to do? Right. You're going to serve the Lord Jesus in the interests of him for the welfare of others. Think about Linda Brandstein, many of you know Linda. She's served in our church for years and years and years in a variety of ways, a variety of capacities. Her current iteration of service is to keep you well caffeinated on Sunday morning as she leads the coffee ministry and shows up in all kinds of other ways to care and to encourage and to pray and to be a dear spiritual friend and mother for others. The list could go on. I could do this until tomorrow. Scott Yegley teaches high school science and comes and teaches foundational truths to kids. Lana Canfield, who plays all those instruments you've never heard of back here, uh, is one of the most eva- active evangelists I've ever met in my life. Seth Cogley, Carol Elias, dozens and dozens more of you, others-centered, looking for the interest and in the welfare of others, but the interest of Jesus himself. The second person that Paul commends to the Philippians is named Epaphroditus. I dare you to name your next child that. (laughs) He commends Epaphroditus as one to follow, but he does it for a completely different reason. Epaphroditus is the example of one who is proven through hardship. I wonder if you've ever met somebody who is a highly competent individual in a variety of areas in life. Perhaps she's charismatic, she's skilled, she's a high riser, she's one of those people that's intelligent, and you say, it doesn't seem to matter. Whatever they do, it just sort of, whatever they touch turns to gold. And eventually that person puts their faith in Christ, and and they're passionate about the Lord, and they follow him faithfully, and they become a rising leader among those around them. But then something difficult happens and things change rather quickly. And rather than relying on God even more in the difficulty, she becomes angry with him. And rather than diving deeper in her area of service, she pulls away. And rather than showing her faith to be robust, to withstand the storm in life, it's displayed to be shallow or even false as she goes her own way out of her anger to God. In a manner of a short time, she's gone from a rock star example of someone to follow to one who you would not commend to anyone to follow. And what happens to all those who have already started to mimic her way of life? What's to become of them? When Paul points to Epaphroditus, he points to the opposite trait to be true. While others shrink back in the midst of the difficulty of life, Epaphroditus pressed Forward. And this is how he describes him. Verse 26, he says he's been longing for others. Verse 25, he's a brother and a fellow worker and a fellow soldier. A brother. Epaphroditus is a brother. He's bound together in the same spiritual family through their faith in Jesus. He's a fellow worker. His hardship 
is endured while working for the Lord. He's not content to look on from a distance. He doesn't succumb to laziness or desire for comfort. He works. He contends for the sake of the gospel. And perhaps the highest of praise is that he is a fellow soldier. Epaphroditus is engaged in a spiritual battle. And friends, this is a spiritual battle and the implications of being in that battle are not felt or understood until you're actually in it. <laughs> if you're not in the battle, if you're not on the battlefield, you don't know. That's just the way that it is. But Paul says this ministry of the gospel is something that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, Ephesians 6, but against rulers and against authorities and against cosmic powers over this present darkness against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And the imagery is vivid, right? Because the mark of one of the Roman legion was that they would stand side by side with their fellow soldiers and their shields would be interlocked. And the life of the person next to them depended upon their willingness and ability to hold the line. And when the battle comes, Epaphroditus held the line. He was a brother. He was a fellow worker. And he was a fellow soldier. A role model to follow. And it's important that Paul commends him as such. Because the situation it looks a little hairy. Epaphroditus was the one who went on the journey for this church in Philippi. He was the messenger, it says, your messenger and minister to my needs, which probably means this. He went 800 miles to supply Paul with his physical needs. Because when you're in prison in the ancient world, there's no three squares a day and no warm blankets. If you're cared for, you're cared for because your loved ones helped out financially and practically. Epaphroditus was the messenger and the minister of that need, but he fell ill. And word got back to the church and eventually he had to come home early. And so some were afraid that maybe he died. They loved him, he was part of them. And others perhaps upset that he had to cut his trip short. So Paul makes sure to commend him in their hearing. And as you read it, you can Feel the affection dripping off the pages. This was a guy that he loved. And this was a guy that they loved as well. Let's listen to it again and think about the relational terms here. Paul says in verse 27, Indeed he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. If this guy had died... I would be wrecked. The more, and I am more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. 
He's coming back. And this is going to be a great and glorious occasion for you and for me. The Lord spared him. He's one of us. He's a fellow soldier. Let's celebrate with great joy and honor together. He risked his life for the gospel for the sake of Paul. He's worthy of joy and honor because he's been proven through hardship. And so when you consider these two things together, these two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, one proven through hardship, one who is others-focused. You might categorize these attributes or characteristics as someone who self-sacrificial in their nature, a person of substance. These people look like Jesus. And Paul described for us just a couple of verses before this what Jesus looks like in this service when he says that he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus was other-centered. Jesus was proven through hardship. And now Timothy and Epaphroditus are following that example. And you can follow them. You might say it this way. In following Jesus, we learn from those who are like Jesus. What shall we say? Who should we look to as our role models? Who should we follow? In following Jesus, we learn from those who are like Jesus. And that's an important word for us today because there's no shortage of self-serving teachers. There's no shortage of celebrity television personalities. There are no shortage of some who are really good at making those short TikTok reels or others who are really good at making a nicely produced YouTube video. And we live in a time that often honors external success, but diminishes quiet, faithful suffering. A time that elevates the younger and diminishes the older. A time that external promotion trumps internal fortitude. In short, we live in a time that celebrates style over substance. But the encouragement is here. Follow the ones of substance. (laughs) And following Jesus we learn from those who are like him, who are like Jesus. And I know the two aren't mutually exclusive. You can have style and substance. That's, that's true. But I also know the temptation of our culture. Flashy, trendy, celebrity, self-promoting people tend to have very large followings. And if you've been following the news in the Christian world at all for the last five to ten years, the rate at which so many of them have fallen has been tragic And it leaves behind it a wake of spiritual injury that lasts for generations because they weren't like Jesus. And so what are the implications for you and for me? Well, there are many. The first one is that I wonder who you are looking to learn from. I hope it's somebody. (laughs) I hope that you're just not going it alone because nobody can grow in a healthy way if they do that. As you think about 
the people you access and the books that you read or the videos that you watch, who are these people? What are they like? Can you even know for sure? It's interesting, God's placed you in a church in a time and a place very intentionally and specifically. And so maybe the better question is, or maybe the ones you could be looking to, are who are the ones that you might model your life after right here <laughs> in your own family? Stop and think about a couple names right now. People of substance. People who are other-centered. People who have the interest of Jesus in mind. People who have been proven through difficulty. People who look like Jesus. Spend time with them. Observe them. Listen to them. Let them become your fathers and mothers in the faith. And what about you? Are you a brother or a sister? Are you a fellow worker? Are you a fellow soldier? Think about the one that might be looking up to you and what you're modeling for them. When you have young children, you become acutely aware that those children are watching you all the time and they see a lot more than you think they see. We have a church of hundreds of spiritual children who are watching and they see more than you think they see. What are you displaying for them? Others-centeredness? Self-centeredness? Something different. In following Jesus, we learn from people who are like Jesus. And I think of how difficult it might be to distinguish sometimes between the two those who are truly like him and those who just look like him from a distance but really aren't, to distinguish between those who are merely successful and those who display the type of character that Jesus has, we need to be able to distinguish between them those who are merely in it for themselves versus those who are in it for the Lord. Think about the difference between George Washington and Benedict Arnold. And the differences weren't that many but there was one difference that was defining in its nature. Both George Washington and Benedict Arnold were dynamic men of action with unquestioned personal courage. Both were driven by passion and ambition from an early age. Both were capable of inspiring men they commanded to and to act in extraordinary sacrifice and endurance. Both were hot-tempered by nature, and yet despite all of the superficial similarities, one of them ended up being a traitor and the other ended up being the father of our country. Why? Because it all boiled down to character. A case of honor versus glory. George Washington was guided by an indestructible sense of honor. Benedict Arnold was driven by a thirst for personal glory and all of the privileges that it could bring. Both men hungered for greatness, but Washington, to Washington, greatness meant subordination of the self to a greater cause, learning from mistakes, and mastering personal weakness. To Benedict Arnold, greatness meant the triumph of the self over others, personal wealth, privilege, and indulgence of personal appetites. For him, the cause 
was merely the vehicle to glory. None of this detracts, of course, from Arnold's earlier achievements in the American independence. He helped drive the British out of Boston in the early part of the war. He took the offensive against the British in the twin battles that ended in the surrender of an entire British army at Saratoga. But Arnold also had this consistent pattern. Insubordination, excessive drinking, lavish overspending. He tried to recoup his fortunes through marriage to a young society beauty named Peggy Shippen and Shippen's connections led him to a young British officer named John Andre, who was the middleman for his later treason. Ultimately, it was Benedict Arnold's own nature that led to his betrayal. As the many real and imagined slights and humiliations piled up, There's no core sense of duty or honor or counterbalance this personal grievance. And so it was all about him. And so, as far as he was concerned, treason was just another move in personal advancement. His lack of personal character, combined with selfish ambition, displayed who he really was. Contrast that with Father Damien. (laughs) Father Damien was a priest who became famous for his willingness to serve lepers. And he moved to Kalawaho, a village on the island of Molokai in Hawaii that had been quarantined to serve as a leper colony. For 16 years, he lived in their midst. He learned to speak their language. He bandaged their wounds. He embraced their bodies that no one else would touch. He preached to hearts that would have otherwise been left alone. He organized schools, bands, and choirs. He built homes that the lepers lepers could have shelter. He built 2,000 coffins by hand so that when they died, they could be buried with dignity. And slowly, it was said that Kalawao became a place to live rather than a place to die. For Father Damien had offered hope. Father Damien was not careful about keeping his distance. He did nothing to separate himself from his people. He dipped his fingers in the poi along with his patients. He shared his pipe with them. He did not always wash his hands after bandaging wounds. He got so close. And for this, the people loved him. And then one day, he stood and he began his sermon with two words. We lepers, he said. Now, he wasn't just helping them. Now, He was one of them. From this day forward, he wasn't just on their island. He was in their skin. First, he had chosen to live as they lived. Now he would die as they died. Now they were in it together. One day... God's son, Jesus, came to earth and began with a message that sounded something like, we lepers, 
Now, he wasn't just helping us. Now, he was one of us. Now, he was in our skin. Now, we were in it together. And he is the example par excellence. And in looking like him and following him, others become the example of what it means to follow him. Because in following Jesus, we learn from those who are like Jesus. And the question then for you and for me is who are the ones who are your spiritual role models? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the humility of your son. We thank you for the example that he gives of other-centeredness, of interest in the greatest of things, in one who is proven through difficulty. We thank you for the example of so many others who look like him because they follow him and help us to see and to know what it means to live in faithfulness to you today. Raise up more examples among us, we pray. I pray for each person here that they would have a spiritual role model to follow. And I pray for each person here that you would raise them up to be a spiritual role model for others to follow. You can do it. We trust you for it. Amen.